Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we'll pick it up where we left off yesterday, which is really the end of verse 1 of 2 Peter chapter 2. And what we're talking about here is the pervasive nature of false teachers and also the fact that false teaching is insidious. Peter has to address this because as he has laid the foundation for our sure confidence in the Word of God as he ends chapter 1, that's even more sure and more certain than any experience that anybody could ever have, including an actual experience like what Peter had on the Mount of Transfiguration. When that happens, and when there is true teaching, and when we stand on the Word of God, and remember what he said at the beginning of this letter, he said that his divine power, that is God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Okay? His divine power has granted to us what? All things that pertain to life and godliness. That comes through his revealed word. It comes through the word of God. But any time that we stand on the word of God, and we should stand on the word of God, we will always find this unwelcome companion of orthodoxy, because we know that the word of God is true. It's orthodox. It's right, okay? And whenever we stand on that, there's always an unwelcome companion to orthodoxy, and that is the companion of false teaching, And so Peter says, even when the word is present, there will always be false teachers there to pervert it, twist it, use it for their own means and their own ways. And that's what we looked at first, that they're pervasive. So we said we always have to be on guard against the dangers of false teaching. The characteristics of false teaching that come out to us from the text are that it's pervasive, number one. There were false teachers at the beginning, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and with the prophets of old, there are false teachers in the time that Peter's writing to these people, and there will be false teachers going forward, which we see today. There's no doubt about it that false teachers exist in the world, and they always will until Christ comes back. The second characteristic of false teaching, or characteristic of the danger of false teaching, right, is that false teaching is insidious. It's it's harmful and sneaky. It's all of those things. And so as we got into that discussion, we said it's surreptitious. That's the sneaky part. And that's where Peter says that they secretly bring in destructive heresies. And so it's surreptitious, it's secret, it's sneaky, secretly bringing in to introduce something by an illicit fashion. And then we started to get into this idea that it's destructive. How awful is false teaching? You say it's just words, right? We've all heard that that idiom that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That has been disproven over the years But even more so, we find out that words, especially when they are spoken in an authoritative way by people who say that they have the knowledge of God and of things with regards to the eternal future, if they are speaking something that's false, they can be destructive. The words themselves can actually lead to your ruin. 
And so as we get into this, we discover that they can be destructive to your faith, not not of physical things, uh, but it does have a real actual physical impact in the future. Because if you buy into these and you are duped by this and you are not really one of Christ's, uh, I mean, later in scripture, he says, if possible, it would lead even astray the elect, which indicates that it's not possible to actually lead the elect astray. But there are people who are teetering. We know that there are people in the church. When you go back and look at the parable of the soils, Matthew chapter 13, and, and you, you look at that and understand that the soils represent the, the climate, if you will, the nature of man's heart, the composition of man's heart and its willingness to receive the gospel or ability, not even willingness, but actually the ability to receive the gospel. And only those soils which yield and produce a fruit, an actual harvest, are the ones that are truly saved. All the rest, even the ones that have a plant that springs up for a time, and that takes a time, right? But they don't go deep enough because there's a bedrock under there and they can't put that root down far enough for the plant to develop fruit and to bear that fruit going forward to show that they are the true genuine article. Even they are not saved. And my point with all that is, is that you have in a church at any given time, even in a small church or especially in a large church, you have people that are representing all the types of soils that are present there in that parable in Matthew chapter 13 in the church. And it doesn't mean that we give up hope. It doesn't mean that we have to try and sniff out who is what soil and those type of things. But the fact of the matter is, imagine for a moment that you have people that are not quite there as far as having true commitment and faith to Jesus Christ and repentance of their sins. They may think that they are, right? We know that there are people that come to Jesus in the last day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things? They may even think that they're serving Christ. And Jesus will say to them, what? Depart, I never knew you. So we know that there are people in the church who think and are trying to do the right thing and they think they're doing the right thing. Imagine for a moment that a false teacher not just another church member, but somebody who's in a position of authority and leadership in that church who has the ability to teach the word of God brings in a perversion of the gospel, an actual heresy. What is that going to do for the person who's not quite there? It's going to send them to a place where in their eternity future, that's going to lead to their physical destruction of their glorified body or the physical torment, ongoing torment, because that body can't die, the second death, really has to be taken seriously. So false teaching is destructive. It's destructive to your faith. It has the ability to undermine faith, and it's destructive to doctrine. And this is really where we want to get in and, and dig in deep here today. When we say that false teaching can be destructive to doctrine, and probably it all is to some degree, but in this particular instance, Peter is talking about a fundamental doctrine. So it involves the denial of fundamental doctrine. And here's what he says, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So here's what one commentator had to say on this. We, we want to discuss, first of all, this phrase, who bought them. They're denying the master who bought them. 
Peter would not speak of the false teachers as bought by the death of the Lord if they were pagan outsiders. Something for us to consider. He's not using language here that is talking about pagan false teachers and people who don't even claim to worship the one true and living God. The expression, he goes on to say, indicates that the false teachers were part of the church that Peter was addressing, that they professed faith in Jesus Christ. At one time, they were loyal servants of Jesus Christ, but now they denied the Lord who spilled his blood for them. Wow. Wow. Just wow. Right. We're not talking about you know, the priest down at the Buddhist temple or a monk or whatever they're called, right? We're not, we're not talking about those people who flat out deny what the Bible has to say about Jesus Christ. We're talking about people who were in the fold. These aren't enemies from outside trying to tear down the church. These are rather ones who came up in the church. These are the worst kind. This is an enemy from within that people have trusted. This is the among you aspect. There will be false teachers among you. I mean, uh, not Peter, Paul. Paul warned of this in the record that we have of his visit to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, right? Verses 29 and 30. He says this to the elders at Ephesus. I know that after my departure, Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, he says, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. He's addressing people who are confirmed as elders, who are sneaking it by everybody. Recognize that Paul doesn't even know who that is. He just knows that it is going to happen. And at some point in the future, after Paul has departed from them, somebody's going to come in and through some sneaky little thing is going to introduce some false teaching and they're going to do damage to the flock because they are going to be as a predator in among the flock. It's absolutely destructive and they are going to occupy the role of leadership as teachers. They're going to be elders in the church or not all of them, but at least some. The danger is real. The denial of the doctrine is a cardinal or fundamental doctrine. We're talking about the purchase of, of sin. We're talking about the payment of sin. The master who bought you, that's a financial term. How did he buy us? He ransomed. He paid the ransom that is on our lives. And the ransom is an eternal price because that is the uh, eternal price of our sin. So that's what he means by who bought them. Now, what does it mean that they deny the Lord or deny the master? First, we could think of this in a general sense, uh, but it would also include the exclusive statements that Jesus made and the hard statements that he made. It must also include the resurrection and the second coming, as Peter will address this specifically later on in chapter 3, verses 4 to 7 where he says, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They're going to begin to deny doctrine. They're going to deny the Lord. They know that the Lord spoke about his second return. We also know, right, as believers, as true Christians who are students of the word of God on a daily basis, we know a few things. We know that, for instance, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. That's actually going to come up later in this letter, too. We know those things. So we can't reckon time 
the way you know, we can't use our reckoning of time to sit here and, and count fault to God. That's not something that we can do, but false teachers will do that. And so they know that there is a teaching about his second coming, his return and the judgment of the world. And they'll say, Hey, I don't believe it. I know you've talked about it, but Hey, everything's always continued as it has been for the longest time that I can ever observe and the people before me. I mean, how short-sighted do you have to be to think that only what you can observe matters or maybe one or two generations before you, or maybe three or four, or maybe even 10. I mean, how short-sighted is that? You can't go back all the way, except you have one person and not even a person. You have one being God who does give us record of everything. And he does tell us how it's going to be. And so we have to go by faith. So that's what it means to deny. But then we see here with regards to destruction of doctrine here, that the result of teaching heresy, what happens to these false teachers? We, we have to keep this in mind. Is it damaging? Well, it's damaging to those who hear, yes, but it's also damaging to them. To a false teacher who honestly believes the stuff, you know, I've heard it said, and I don't remember who said it originally, but if you repeat a lie often enough, it begins to become a truth, right? I think Mark Twain had a version of that. I think other people along the way have had versions of of that statement. But a lot of false teachers actually do begin to believe what they say. I think there is a point, there, there is a turning point in their life where they have got to know that what they are doing is wrong and that they are not handling accurately the word of Christ. But the more they do it, the more hardened their conscience will be, the more they can just quiet that still small voice and put that aside. And they too begin to believe it. But here's the result for them personally. They bring upon themselves swift destruction. The word is a common one in the New Testament for the eschatological punishment to come. We're talking about destruction here. We've already noted that those who deny Jesus will be denied before the Father. Peter clarified here that the false teachers were not guilty of minor defections, but that judgment awaited for them if they did not repent. They are truly showing that they are not of, uh, of Christ. They have not been purchased by him. Swift here can also mean sudden. So not necessarily the idea of quick or soon, but of total sudden completed action. All of a sudden it comes upon them. They're going along in their false teaching all the way up to the point of judgment, and then it will come upon them completely. And so we don't have time to make a slow adjustment. Listen, if you are teaching something that's not in accordance with the scripture and you've been confronted on that because Often there are still people, maybe they're not enough, but there are people who will confront false teaching when they hear it. And if, if you've been guilty of false teaching and someone has corrected you, the time to repent is now. Go to the scriptures, run to the scriptures and check the scriptures and say, God, help me to see, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your word. I mean, we know that his word doesn't change. It's immutable forever. O Lord is your word settled in the heavens. Psalm 119, uh, incredible text, right? We know that verse 89 of Psalm 119, beautiful text. We know that his word is immutable and it's always been settled. So you go to the word and you find out that, yes, I've been teaching something false. Then run, run to the throne of grace and, and fall down on your face 
on your knees and ask for forgiveness and ask the Lord to help you be set on the right path because you don't know when your final breath will be. And if you are caught in a state of false teaching when that last breath comes, whether through a motorcycle accident or a heart attack or a stroke, whatever it is, a car accident, who knows? But the fact is, is we don't know the the day or the hour of our own death, just as we don't know the day or the hour of Christ's return. But whenever that comes, you need to be in a right standing with God. And so always, always be in check with the scriptures. It's a firm admonishment and warning to false teachers. And I don't think that there are probably, hopefully, not going to be many who are listening. But if you are, respond accordingly, as we've just talked about. Now, for the rest of us, hopefully we're not guilty of false teaching. We don't get to sit back and say, okay, I'm fine. This is great. Check, check, me, me, me. Okay, this is all me. I'm good. I'm solid. I'm orthodox. No worries here. No, you always have to be on guard. (laughs) That's the point. You always have to be in check with the scriptures. Your heart is deceitful above all things. It is a factory of idols. It is a, an idol factory. I think it was John Calvin who said that. Uh, and, and the point is, is it's true. We let our heart go astray for just a tiny second. And it will run, a, run as far away from God as possible and begin to craft its own idols and begin to lift other things up and try and tear God down. And, and we have to be on guard ourselves all the time, which is why we need to be daily in the word. I hope that you're daily in the word. Are you reading God's word on a daily basis? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you regularly in fellowship at a Bible preaching, God fearing gospel preaching church? And if not, you need to be because you need that constant exposure so that through constant exposure to the word of Christ, you will be able to immediately sense false teaching when it comes because you have spent so long immersed in the genuine article and you will be able to help correct erring brothers along the way. Brothers, if, you know, if, if a man is overtaken a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself also, lest you also be tempted. And so we have to recognize that we have a duty and we also have a very, very strict warning. So as we are on guard against the dangers of false teaching, it makes us be alert to the characteristics of it. We've seen first that it's pervasive, second, that it's insidious. And that's what we've just finished discussing. Well, we'll have to end it there, but we'll pick up with further characteristics of false teaching in our next episode. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.